Welcome to the Forest Lakes District EFCA podcast. The FLD's focus is to connect, equip, and multiply churches in fulfillment of our vision to glorify God by multiplying transformational churches among all people. In today's podcast, we hear from FLD Associate District Superintendent Scott Sterner as he speaks on building a strong team culture in your church. This session was recorded at the FLD Fall Leaders Conference in 2022. Okay, well, hey, it's good to be with you and to talk about a topic that is near and dear to my heart. And so we're going to have a lot to cover today, so I'm going to jump in here pretty, pretty quickly. But uh, one of my goals uh, today in this session is going to be to convince you, if you need the convincing, that the church is to be at its very core a team of teams. The church is a team of teams. And embracing a team's culture in your church not only makes the church more biblical, uh, but it also makes the church more fruitful, okay? And so um, let me just go ahead and pray, and then we'll jump in um, with the, and get going with some of the content today. Well, we thank you, Lord, for just the work you've already been doing in our hearts today, and uh, I know one of the greatest joys of just being here is the fact that we're in community with like-minded people who are all just, you know on a journey of growth and learning what it means to serve and to um, lead in a church ministry. And so we just pray that you would um, help there be nuggets of truth and encouragement that would come from even this hour as we're with one another in terms of how it is that we can better lead and establish teams' ministries within our church. And so just do something that only you can do, Father, as you open our hearts and our, our minds to understand and to think in new ways. And so we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Well, I want to start just uh, giving a very simple definition so we're all on the same page here. A team, it's a group of people united around achieving a common goal. And so that with that in mind, what I want to do is, is I give you a self, self-assessment question just to start our time. And it is this. On a scale of one to five, uh, one being poor and five being outstanding, what rating would you give your church's team culture? Okay? So think about that question for a moment. I want you now to come up with a number from a one to five in terms of the sense of team culture in your church. Okay? Everybody have a number, hopefully? Okay, what I want you to do, this will just take a couple minutes, but I want you to turn to somebody next to you. If possible, somebody not in your church. You can be a little more honest, maybe. Uh, But uh, just share... Here's my number and here's why. And then just do that. I'm going to give you a couple minutes to do that. And then, uh, then we'll jump in and just start hitting the content. But, uh, so do that now. Go ahead and turn. What number did you give your church and why? Just share that with one another. Okay, so uh, very good. Um, glad, glad we were able to establish a baseline today. Uh, the reason I did that is because... My hope will be by the end, you will all have a clear uh, one or two things that you could say that will help you move one number higher. Okay, so that's the goal today. And uh, recognizing there might be some here in here who are at a five, and I guess you can either leave or there, <laughs> or there may be something that you could... Uh, can learn that you didn't expect. And so that's my hope and prayer um, for you today. So here's a quick preview of where we're going. Just going to be three main points that I want to hit is that we're going to learn how a strong team's culture is decentralized in authority and structure, uh, that it is strength-based and diverse, and that it is, uh, the culture is garden and not factory. Okay. And I'll unpack all these things to kind of help explain where I'm coming from in these, but this is where we're going. And I will say, too, I, I'm because there's quite a bit of content, and I want to make sure I get through it, you know, all with you, write down questions as you're going, because I'm sure there will be questions that will come up, and we'll try and have some time at the end where you can ask questions for clarification, or if there's other things that you wanted to interact on, okay? So, uh, okay, so let's jump in to this first one. A strong team's culture is uh, decentralized in authority and structure. And I want to start with, with Scripture, um, 
which is a great, great place to start, right? We're, we're the EFCA. We're, we're aware stands at written movement rooted in, in God's word. And so I want us to think through. I had recently, this was part of a project that I was doing at Trinity, just thinking through some of these fundamental realities. And so I did a little bit of a deep, deeper dive reading Acts and the Epistles just through an organizational matrix, just trying to think through how did it work organizationally. And I think that there are five teams that pretty clearly emerged that are central to the New Testament church. The first, of course, is church membership, right? And this, of course, is not just a universal membership, anyone, all believers over all time, but it's also a local expression. And we, we see that clearly in texts like Acts 1, 15 through 26, where the apostles, you know, they needed to replace Judas. So they brought the members of the church together and said, hey, put forward some names of potential uh, replacements. And then Acts 6, we see it is they needed to appoint deacons. Again, the apostles, they went to the church, those members, those believers in the body of Christ, and said, hey, help us out with this. And so that role is, is, is functional, not only in how we interact with one another and the responsibilities in that regard, but also in a governing sense. Uh, the next team, I'll mo- move through these next two quickly because you're quite familiar with them, I'm sure. But the deacon team, right? And this idea, uh, diakonos means servant, right? And the, the Lex- Lexham Biblical Dictionary says, that deacons do not hold teaching or ruling authority in the church, but exercise responsibility for the physical needs of the congregation. And, of course, there's biblical expressions of that, too. Uh, elders, of course, uh, primary overseers of the church who shepherd the church. And, and we see, you know, in Acts uh, 14.23, how as Paul and Barnabas and others, you know, established churches, they would actually appoint elders to lead in those churches. So, of course, that's a very essential Uh, team expression. Now, there's two teams that we don't think about often. We've all heard of those other ones, but these teams are, first of all, apostolic teams. And this was a a form of team leadership that was extremely prominent in the early church. Honestly, uh, as a former church planting guy, uh, I think it's missing today in our missiological grid of how it is we do mission. But the sending of apostolic teams to go into specific regions and neighborhoods and areas to make disciples and establish churches is one of the foundational teams uh, that we see a lot in Acts. Uh, Of course, we know Acts 13 forward through Paul's missionary journeys, Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas and John Mark, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And then we know historically and just through other nuances in the text that that there were actually probably larger teams who were part of that who would go with them to to go and and, uh, preach the gospel and make disciples in different contexts and then gather them in churches. And so apostolic teams is another one. And then finally, regional teams. There's probably a better word for that, but... Uh, the best uh, example of this is in Acts 15, where there was a bit of a crisis, right, in the early church. You know, should uh, new believers who are non-Jews be forced to get circumcised uh, in order to become part of the church? And, of course, that council gathered in order to work through those issues together. And so this idea of a regional representation, as we see, like, associations or denominations, or uh, broader evangelical examples like the Council on Inerrancy, right, in Chicago that happened decades ago. Things like that are expressions of this idea. And so these are the five teams. And, and I, I, I just wanted to go over that briefly to start because uh, I want you to see that, again, at the core of its identities, I stated earlier, Christianity is a team of teams culture. Uh, now, I'm not saying these are the only teams that should exist. As a matter of fact, I'm going to illustrate later how these kind of extrapolate themselves in other ways inside of the church. Uh, however, I think these are foundational teams. And um, it's interesting to note that, like, the scriptures never make a point of highlighting, like, the lead elder here or the lead, you know, person here. There's not the, you know, the letter to the lead pastor of the church in Ephesus, right? I mean, and I'm not, I'm not downplaying our structures today and how they work often in many churches, but I, I'm just trying to emphasize the point that this team's identity, this decentralized where authority is shared in numerous layers of plurality throughout the church, like, that's the norm. That's just was the culture of the early church. And so I just think it presses into this idea that even in our constructs today uh, that, are, that are more organized, a little more corporate, that, that pressing into this space where we're, where we're really working hard to decentralize, uh, to really uh, share authority throughout the community, that that's actually a very biblical thing to do. It's very good for our hearts and it's very good for our community as well. And uh, uh, so now that that point has been made, uh, let me jump into... Just an illustration. I'm going to do this. I'm going to illustrate at times using just some corporate type research as well and authors that, have, that maybe have some, some great understandings 
in terms of God's common grace in the world and how this plays itself out as well. So just going to share briefly the story about this, this book, Team of Teams. Um, this was written by General Stanley McChrystal. And the basis of the book is this. Um, you know, it's unpacking the complexities of the world in which we live and the demands for, for new forms of leadership and teams. And it's all rooted in General, uh, General McChrystal's experience in 2003 at the war in Iraq against al-Qaeda. Um, up to that point, when it came to modern warfare, um, you know, the U.S. had a, a system that was amazing, right? In terms of how it worked, there was a, they were a hierarchical organization, right, where generals and commanders would have a chain of command that would disseminate out uh, into soldiers uh, who were on the field. And what they learned, though, when they came up against al-Qaeda is that they were at a desperate place of disadvantage. You see, al-Qaeda was composed of units that were completely decentralized, okay? These small units uh, that were spread throughout Iraq uh, had this amazing ability to adapt in real time. They were very, very well trained, okay? So there was a great system of thinking that united them, a system of training as to how they would operate, but they were highly decentralized. They had local authority within each community of, of combatants. And so what happened is this large, just much more sophisticated, much more resourced army came in, and they just couldn't keep up. And they were immediately at a loss. What can we do? Because we're losing against uh, this largely unresourced team. And so that's when they underwent a significant transition in how they viewed leadership. And so I'm going to read a quote for you from the book where McChrystal explains this. In the course of this fight, we had to unlearn a great deal of what we thought we knew about how war and the world worked. We had to tear down familiar organizational structures and rebuild them along completely different lines, swapping our sturdy architecture for organic fluidity. We restructured our force from the ground up on principles of extremely transparent information sharing and decentralized decision-making authority. We became what we called a team of teams, a large command and capture at scale, uh, that captured at scale the traits of agility normally limited to small teams. And, and so they, they recognized the problem and where they needed to go, and they made a significant shift. Now, I, uh, I think that in, and this isn't a, a, a talk on the cultural challenges of today, but I do think the things that we are seeing in our culture as we become increasingly postmodern, post-Christian, uh, that there are increasing complexities that make uh, some of our previously defaulted uh, church ways of doing church more and more difficult. And so I think actually there's some relevance to this conversation in terms of the importance of, of what it means to be more agile and adaptable to the cultural nuances as we seek to do church. And so anyway, I do think there's some important parallels here as we think about this, not to mention some some reflections back to the biblical structures. And so um, just, yeah, illustrate. We need, to, we need to lean into this, I think. And uh, what I want to do is, is give you an example of this in, in a ministry context. Now, this is for the district, so this is the world in which I've been swimming, but I will help you apply this no matter how large or small your context, uh, context may be. But uh, one thing, you know, it's not uncommon in an organization to see organizational charts where we have, you know, here's the leader and here's the direct reports and then the direct reports to those direct reports. Uh, one thing that I think we really moved to recently at the district level is to say, how do we look at how we relate, not just as people, but as, as systems? And how do those systems represent teams? And so this is really kind of how the, how the district is laid out. We have events and networks and executive administration and credentialing. But within each one of those blue points, uh, at least we're working to this end, there is a team that is represented, right? So we have the Affinity Networks team. We have uh, finance teams, the communications teams. We have, you know, planner assessment teams. And, and, and so um, this is just a simple illustration of one way in which you as a church, no matter how small or large you are, can begin to transition your thinking 
when it comes to the organization. And that is, what are the various facets of what we do? It might be as simple as we have uh, the teaching ministry, and we have children's ministry and a music ministry. And then to begin to think, okay, well, how can each of those have the very best expression of team leadership and team ownership? And how can we begin to disseminate um, authority and innovation and creativity into those teams? And so this is kind of the, the general idea, just one way that you can be, be thinking about this. So what would it look like for you to organize your church uh, so that just as important as maybe an organizational structure of leaders, you have actually a team's chart and that every single area of leadership and category of ministry within your church has a robust team at its center. And so um, for each of these, I want to just take a moment and reflect on this idea of what does this change require for leaders? Because some of you are leaders or work with leaders who say, man, this sounds really, really great, but uh, my leader, senior leader, isn't open to this kind of a thing. And I just want to recognize the, the heart of what it takes for a leader willing to do this. First is the leader who recognizes their weakness and needs for others, right? Second uh, Corinthians 12, 9 and 10 says, my power is made perfect in weakness, right? For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And this team leadership is a way to model our weakness and our need for others. Uh, it takes leaders who recognize that Jesus builds the church. Like he said to Peter in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So it's not the, it's not the senior leader. It's not the primary leader of your area of ministry, whether they're volunteer or paid. It is Jesus who builds the church. And uh, I've been dying for an opportunity to share uh, this statistic because it's just really fascinating. I was at Wheaton College at something called CPLF uh, a few months ago. This was actually July. And Scott McConnell from Lifeway Research shared a bunch of data that they had accumulated from a group of leaders and pastors in the church over the last few years. And... Um, to this statement, uh, the church would not have achieved the progress it has without me. Uh, Thirty-eight of the percent of the pastors said, "Yeah, yeah, it couldn't be, you know, where it is without me, right?" And uh, what Scott McConnell shared that was fascinating when he looked at the corollary data was that pastors who answered yes to this question were significantly more likely to not be in ministry within the few years that followed this study. Um, and, you know, he wasn't, like, you know, preaching a sermon on this, but I think it really ties back to this idea. If, if you as a leader think that you are central uh, to the progress of your church, there's probably a theological issue that needs to be challenged in your heart and mind. And uh, God has a way through his kindness and through, through that need we have to be significant in and of ourselves to often humble us. And so the, the, according to the data, uh, those who had that sense of confidence were the ones who didn't last. So I just thought that was a fascinating statistic. So I thought I'd share because it, it does tie in with this concept of the kind of leader who, who, uh, who uh, develops a team's culture. Okay. So this leads to that question. How can your church better decentralize and share authority by adopting this team of teams culture? So I want you to think for a moment. This is a great opportunity if there is is perhaps a nugget of transition or, or moving that can be done that, uh, that you're capturing those thoughts before we, before we continue. Okay, so that's the first one. Let's kind of see where we're going here. So we've seen a, a strong team of teams culture. is decentralized in authority and structure. Now let's see how a strong team's culture is strength-based and diverse. All right, so I'm going to go somewhere that's very familiar with many of you, but this is Ephesians 4. 11 through 12, and he, speaking of Jesus, Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, uh, this section, you know, is written uh, to the church at Ephesus. It's also believed, like some believe it's actually a very circular letter, almost a, a constitutional letter for the early church. Um, so it has significant weight, perhaps even more than some of the other epistles. And I do know there's, uh, because I wrestled with this text quite a bit, like there's, there's a lot of ways to interpret this. Some believe that apostles, prophets, and evangelists is just referring to actual early church age leaders, kind of looking back at these are the ones who God used to establish. And, and I think there's some, you know, 
certainly some validity to that interpretation. But even if you hold to that more conservative reading of the text, I think in principle, you can still acknowledge that the early church benefited from a unique combination of leaders with a unique combination of gifts. Okay, so if you think about that, according to Ephesians 4, there were apostolic-oriented leaders who, like Paul, for example, had a unique strategic mind when it came to organizing the church for mission. And these minds, uh, you know, minds like Paul's, could engineer and help lead, you know, these missionary journeys to spread the gospel throughout entire regions in fulfillment of Acts 1.8. And, and in addition to apostolic-oriented leaders, there were evangelistically gifted leaders who were uniquely gifted at sharing the gospel and making disciples and creating cultures of evangelism that replicated themselves throughout the spread of the early church. There were prophetic leaders who were uniquely gifted in bringing the truth out of Scripture, not only applying it to the believers, but also applying it to how we adapt the, uh, the gospel to the culture in which we live. And of course, uh, what's very common and understood is that there, there are shepherds who, who cared for the sheep, right, and teachers who could exposit and, and teach the Scriptures in a way that was effective and, and meaningful for the building up of the church. Now, the observation I want to make is that Paul was, we can see this as an illustration for how it is these leadership gifts can be used, given by Christ for the strengthening of the church. And I do want to bring a challenge. This is just an observation from my many years of ministry. And that is that a lot of folks who, who identify with this apostolic way of thinking, these tend to be very entrepreneurial thinkers and leaders within the church. I just know from studying the microchurch movement recently and, and from having some of these impulses in myself that these leaders largely feel out of place in more uh, institutionally organized churches. Uh, they often feel like they live in a world of ceilings and that they don't fit in uh, because there isn't space as much for some of these apostolic, prophetic, and, and evangelistic leaders. And so just want to challenge you as we, as we just develop this a little bit further to recognize that there are probably some ways in which moving towards a strength-based strategy, we can actually empower a, a form of leadership that has been largely, uh, largely squelched in the church. And, and for that reason, leverage the creative uh, entrepreneurial energy and impulse that's going to be needed for this increasingly secular culture in which we live. So we can suss that out in Q&A a little bit more if you want, but I, but I do just want to kind of throw that out there for you to be thinking about it. Uh, the missiologist uh, Alan Hirsch says that APES, speaking of the Ephesians 4 gifts, is almost a silver bullet in any effort to get the ecclesia to full movement, mode, and impact. And so just kind of further illustrates this idea. Um, now, I'm going to move to a little bit of research uh, related to this concept that I, I found very interesting. This book, Range, it's... Uh, you know, as, as, the, as the subtitle states, it's about generalists and the importance of people who are very well-rounded in their experiences and education in terms of how they have a unique place in this world. And so, uh, but what I'm going to point out actually is just some research that came from one of the, one of the sections in this book. Now, uh, the, do, the author, David Epstein, he tells this story of research performed by psychologist Kevin Dunbar related to the productivity of teams in a research context. Uh, context. And so what he did, and this was several decades ago, but he studied uh, molecular biology laboratory teams. Now, why did he choose that? Well, because at that time in science, molecular biologists were leading the way. That science was just, they were coming up with innovative discoveries that were radically transforming the medical industry at the time. And so he thought, where better can I go and learn about team dynamics in, in, in action? And so he followed these teams, and he found something very, very interesting. The scientists, uh, the teams whose scientists had more diverse professional backgrounds, they were much more effective at responding to the challenges of research and much more effective at uh, producing scientific breakthroughs, okay? Now, now, what he found, and I'll explain what he meant by this, but what he found was what made them so productive was their ability to pull analogies from different areas of expertise and experience. Okay, so let me illustrate this for you. Uh, so I have an undergraduate degree in uh, 
choral and orchestra conducting. Now, you used to need that in the church, and then you don't really need it anymore. Uh, but that's another conversation. But anyway, um, uh, but, but one example of this would be like, as I think about teams, you know, maybe I'm going to preach a sermon on it. Well, where does my mind go? It goes to conducting an orchestra. It goes to thinking about, you know, there, there are, you know, an orchestra is a beautiful picture of people who have really dedicated themselves to a unique expression of gift given by God through his grace to, the, to people. And, and that in and of itself is so beautiful, but when you bring 30 of those musicians together on stage, sharing a same common mission uh, with dynamics and this sense of unity around time, what happens? Like there is something that is transcendent that can uh, you know, fill a room that, that, would, that, is, that is far greater even than the sum of those individual parts. Uh, and, and so, to me, that analogy speaks powerfully. And I've actually seen pastors, I did this once, actually, in a sermon where I actually built a band on the stage as we were talking, and just like, here's the in, in, individual, now you add this person and this person. You begin to see, wow, this is amazing what can be created when we come together uh, for our gifts. Well, anyway, bottom line, that is this kind of analogy that what he observed, uh, people who are able to do that were actually far more effective. And so it's very, very interesting. Um, what he found, you know, this quote from that section says, when everyone had similar and highly specialized backgrounds, so you get a, just a bunch of highly trained microbiologists in the room, analogies were almost never used. Because they didn't have analogies, right? They, they all came, they were all cut from the same cloth. And so the big idea is this. It goes even beyond just the strength-based concept. That teams with different education, different experiences, different expertise, different ages, different cultural backgrounds, that when you got them together in a room with a shared common goal, they were far more imaginative, far more innovative, and far more capable of coming up with creative solutions. Okay, so through the basic rules of science, we see you know, what we also see in scripture, which is just it takes a diversity of people coming together for, around a common mission, not only to display the glory of the gospel where many different uh, become one in Christ, but also to actually be more fruitful in everything you do. We don't think about it that way very often, do we? But actually, that's, that's one of the reasons we want to pursue that multi, multi-colored, multi-generation, you know, multi-worldview representation, uh, not only in our churches, but also our teams. It's not an affirmative action thing, right, outside of the fact that the gospel just calls us to that picture. Okay, so just hopefully I'm stretching you a little bit to think about this. Um, now I'm going to illustrate it in a, a ministry context, okay? So this is practical with the teams I work with, and that's why I'm using these illustrations. But uh, on an annual basis the last few years, what we've done as a team is we have an annual retreat, and uh, we get together for a couple days. And in each one of these retreats, um, we often take a few hours to do an exercise where we either use uh, an APEST uh, assessment like what we went through, or this one I think you see on the right, I'll explain in a second, but Enneagram, okay? And I, I know, you know, we use it recognizing that there's unique personalities and strengths that come out in that assessment as well. But we'll use some kind of assessment tool, and uh, what we'll do is we'll get together. Usually I'll have them uh, either have taken it before, or if it's short enough, I'll say, don't worry about it, just come. We'll take 15 minutes, we take the assessment, and we get the results. And then as a team, we sit around and we, uh, we share the definitions of each, of each of those on a page. And with those in hand, I invite them, what most resonated with you, with how it is this, what, it, what insights this assessment taught you about your personality or your spiritual gifts or what have you? And then uh, from that description, what would help the team to more understand how it is they can work with you? And, and then we share that. And all I can say is, like, um, you come away uh, having just fast-tracked a sense of intimacy and understanding that is radically uh, transformational in your team dynamic. As we think through, hey, how are one another's uniquely gifted? What are our unique worldviews? And how can that contribute to the goals that we have? And then from that point forward, in our agendas, every month when we're together, uh, it's your name plus you know, this expression of unique giftedness or ability within you. 
Uh, and then, uh, and by the way, it's also a liability, right? <laughs> we recognize that this also reveals maybe idolatries or weaknesses in your own life. But we, we interact, and then we reinforce those things uh, in our people. And I, I can say, too, that, like, um, you know, it, it really helps us to rely on one another and actually maybe not be so irritated by one another as well. And so, anyway, that's just one example of something that's very practical and very easy to do that just could encourage you to do as well. Again, we'll have time for questions at the end. Um, but let's, let's hit this. What does this require of leaders? It requires leaders who deeply value the gifts of others. I think this is very biblical. A couple other citations where, you know, the Apostle Paul is just laying out these gifts of the Spirit in the people. And there's a reason he's doing it, right? Uh, leaders are humble enough to learn from people. Uh, James there talks about, you know, the humble. And, uh, and uh, the first Timothys, don't let, don't let them look down on you, Paul was saying to Timothy, because you're young, right? We recognize that we need the young, we need the old, we need uh, people. And then finally, leaders who truly believe their measure of success is not in their own gifts and abilities, but how effective they are at building up others for the work of ministry. And uh, I, all we got to do is read the text and actually really believe it, right? And build our lives around it. It's, it's about building up. And I think uh, we quoted another text earlier about that in the earlier session. So just want to emphasize that for leaders. Um, so this goes to the next question. How can uh, your church do a better job at building diverse, strength-based teams? Okay, so let's just think on that for a moment. If you got an idea of an application point, of something that you can do, just one simple thing, write it down. Uh, so we think about how we can apply that. Okay. Let's go ahead and keep moving. Okay, so far, this is the last one. So far we've learned that a strong, strong team's culture is decentralized in authority and structure. A strong team's culture is strength-based and diverse. And finally, a strong team's culture is a garden and not a factory. And I borrowed this concept a little bit from Team of Teams. Uh, but, but as we think about this, um, here's a question. I'm anticipating a question, okay, for a leader who's grappling with some of these things. Um, if I do this, okay, if I give away more authority, if I really empower teams to make decisions throughout my church and to really help us to adapt in our effective ways of, of translating the gospel into our various areas of ministry, um, how am I going to keep us from going off the rails, right? How am I going to keep us so we're not just like a bunch of independent operators doing our own thing? And, and the answer is this. You have to shift from a factory way of thinking to a garden way of thinking, okay? Your primary job is not to control or pr produce a product, Right? We come away from a conference, a great idea, we need to look like this church, now let's come together as a team and make the product. Right? That's how we think sometimes. But our goal should be to create and maintain an environment of flourishing. I think it's, that's, a, that's a radically biblical idea, uh, and I think it's really the idea of how the church is to operate as well. We want to maintain an environment for flourishing, for the gifts of people to flourish. And so uh, let me just contrast this to Put a little more flesh in the bones for you. A factory identity is focused on replicating a product, right? So it creates a product to be replicated. It's, it demands that everyone and everything plays a predefined role for a predefined outcome. Um, I remember that, like, I grew up, uh, it was kind of like the church I was in was kind of a, a maybe multi-personality disorder church. We would go to, like, Bethlehem <laughs> Pastors Conference. <laughs> Uh, in the in the winter, and then we'd go to Willow Creek, you know, Arts or Leadership Summit in the summer. Many of you do that as well. But we'd go from one that was radically, like, just oriented around biblical and theological concepts, and then one that was super practical. But I still remember, we'd come away every year from the Willow Summit, and I think they're better now in, the, in this, but, but thinking that, like, we had to imitate a model. Because we wanted our services to look just like theirs, because everyone was telling us at the time, that's the way you could win the culture. And there was much fruit from that. I'm not discounting that. But we have to recognize that way of thinking and that way of imitation actually really presses us into this factory mindset. Now, in contrast, a garden identity is focused on a shared value system, right? 
Gardeners focus on creating an environment for flourishing, not on controlling the plant, per se, but pulling weeds, building fences to keep out you know, predators, right? Uh, fertilizing and watering. With, with the hopes and trust that God's sovereignty, right? In the sun and in the rain and in the soil and such, that like, you know, he's going to bring that, that sense of growth and, and they're going to reach their full potential. And so, so really it's, it's shifting into this way of thinking uh, that we're really, we're, we're helping to lead a garden. This, this graphic just kind of lays out a little bit more. Again, just I'm being a little bit redundant here, but I just want you to really, really get it. The more we, we move from an individualistic culture where there's hierarchy and, and an individual or a few individuals making decisions for the entire church, the more we move to a team's culture, a plurality identity as a church, the more we have to increase uh, this sense of cultural identity in the church, right? It's not a directing environment, a higher control environment, a creating processes for a predefined outcome. It's an enabling environment, a less individual control, right? Creating environments for flourishing. And so there are strong guardrails that protect orthodoxy, that protect our identity and our culture in light of the mission that God's called us to in our community. Uh, but it's that where we put our energy, not on just the managing of individuals and what it is they do. Okay, so let's, uh, let me illustrate it a little bit more. Um, we just talked about this in the, in the main session, a vision frame. Some of you may be familiar with this, may have used it or may have not, but I uh, just want to illustrate how this actually provides that sense of garden culture. You know, in a lot of ways, you could see this as a garden box. Um, the two things I wanted to point out is number two and number four. Because the values, those are, that's the culture we want to create. Now, it's by no mistake that this conference is focused on encouragement and connecting. Well, why did we choose that? Uh, well, guess what? It's right there. It's in our values. We feel like if we want us as a district to be filled with leaders and churches who are living this as a discipline in their life, then we need to take time and energy to build that out theologically, to encourage and exhort biblically, and to create opportunities to practice that. And so that's what we do. Uh, the beauty of the vision frame that's unlike a lot of other these, uh, of these envisioning tools is it also invites you to create the measures of an individual inside of that organization as well as teams. And so um, in this context, we're primarily working with leaders like you. So for us, we said, what do we want our leaders to look like? Well, here are five qualities we want to see lived out and fruitful inside of you. But uh, in, a, in a church context where you're maybe thinking about teams, you could have team measures, right? Or you could have uh, you know, a, a mature disciple measure, which is really, really important as well. Uh, the point being is that you're creating this picture and then you're working towards that by building into, into people. And the thing that, that's important to note as well is that uh, if you go through a process like this, what you get is not just like what's true for every church, but you also get like, well, what's true? How has God uniquely wired us in our context, and how does that express itself here? And so you're, you're actually building into that culture a sense of reflection of your community, a sense of reflection of how it is we're to be unique, different than maybe any other church in our community, right? This is going to be how we live this out. And so just practically speaking, uh, what this means for us is every time our teams gather, we take a different one of these value or measures, and we make that the focus of our devotional for that day. And we rotate through, and then we document that devotional and make a link available to our leaders so when they're going out meeting with people, I can tell you, you can tell John loved that encouragement article that we shared. Because everywhere he goes, he shares that encouragement article that he talked about today. And that was the hope. It's like, hey, here's a resource that summarizes this value, and now take that resource and duplicate it. Share it with others so it can continue to seep outward. It also affects how we evaluate. We're getting ready to launch you know, evaluations for our team and to ask the question. And if you have elders or if you have ministry leader teams, I would highly encourage you, evaluate them. Ask them questions. And so what did we do? Like, we're, we're building an evaluation process built around these values. How are you living these out in your own life as we seek to model the kind of culture we're trying to create? Uh, when I was uh, a church pastor, we had an annual church survey that was uh, built around the values of the congregation. 
And every year, I know they got tired of it, you know, and we had to kind of motivate them in different ways. We said, hey, take five minutes and fill out this church survey. We want to see if you've progressed in your understanding of what it means to live out the gospel uh, and community and mission in your local context. And we could see then year to year, how are we making progress in this? And if something's really lagging, how can we infuse energy into building that culture uh, more strongly within our, in our community? And so this just illustrates that whole idea of, of how it is that you can develop a garden mentality within uh, your church or within your ministry area. Uh, now, thinking through, what does it require of leaders? Um, it requires leaders to harness the collective potential of their team to create values that combine biblical conviction within their unique context. And so that idea is just what I mentioned before, which is like you have to, you have, to have a destination, right? How are these biblical values uniquely expressing themselves within our community? Identifying those collectively is super important. And so, you know, even if that means you invite somebody from the district or, or somebody to come in and help guide your teams through this experience, it can be just so helpful. Uh, because then those values, again, are shaped in the, in the power of collaboration. And when you collaborate about, around your values, what happens? Ownership goes up, right? Uh, two, it requires leaders to not focus on what's urgent but what's important, okay? Uh, uh, building culture will never feel urgent in the context of local ministry. Why? Because there's always practical deadlines, right? When I was a worship pastor, I mean, like, Sunday's always coming, right? And uh, you get that. There's always something that needs to be done. And, but we have to make space in our lives and in our ministries for what's important, not just what's urgent. And this is, this is an example of that. And then finally, it requires leaders to embrace a developing and sending culture. Here's my, my theory, and, and I, I'm not going to build a whole biblical argument in this section for this, but I think the more faithfully we build our church cultures around this, where we're sharing authority and raising up next generations of leaders, I think we're going to have a problem, and it's that we have too many leaders. And I, when you have too many leaders, what happens? By, 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 the, by nature, you become a sending church, Right? <laughs> And so um, I won't get into it again, but like we're, we're in a leader crisis. I could share stats about that too, like where uh, we, we buy leaders, we don't build them. We hire great consult, you know, to do searches for us. No problem. I mean, we need to do that. That's just the cultural moment we live in. But we need to do the hard work, I think, over the next decades of ministry of saying, no, we're going to build up. You know, we're going to create leader problems in our churches. And I think the first step is to move into this space of pluralities, of leadership, of really empowering those, those leaders to know their gifts and to flourish in them, and then, and then let's create a problem <laughs> and start sending them out, okay? So the, the uh, final application question here is then, how can your church uh, adopt a garden identity, becoming a more focused, uh, more focused, oh, more on building a values, I think that's, that sentence is strange, isn't it? More focused on building a values-driven culture. You get the point. Okay. Uh, well, we have about 15 minutes left, I think. Is that right? Yep. Okay. Which is, uh, there are more things that I, I could share, but I just want to, at this point, open it up for questions, and then, and then I can, we can just see where it goes. So. Uh, and if you don't have questions, I'll show you a couple other things. But, yep. Wow, wow. Um, that's a really good question. Um, I actually, so when I was reading a lot of the microchurch literature, they talk about this all the time. Mm -hmm. And I do think it's probably to an, to an excess and maybe a little reckless. So uh, I did not find anywhere in all of that reading that I did a really careful, biblical, nuanced expression of what you're asking. Uh, so maybe that's something that, that, we'll, that I could work on, just providing a little bit of a summary. Um, but, I, but I do think, um, and maybe if somebody else knows of a good little, yeah, yep. Just a thought to that. Yeah, great. Is, you know, one of the traditional ideas of an apostle is somebody that had an encounter with Christ. 
yes. and somebody who was an eyewitness to the miracles of Jesus and to the eyewitness. Yes. Yes. And all of the apostles uh, had that credential. Yet Paul, who had that credential, says he gave some to the apostles, seeming to be speaking of somebody other than himself and the other apostles. Amen. And I, I think because of the traditional understanding of what an apostle is or should be, we have discounted that and no longer embraced the idea that God may still desire to raise up apostles, not to write scripture for us, not to give epistles, but to be in a level of leadership that is able to cast vision for something greater than what is happening locally. Mm. It is a translocal leader. I, I hesitate to mention John's name because I have not spent enough time with him, but uh, John Payne would be, could be somebody who may be able to operate in that apostolic role. I'm not saying that he does this. Again, I haven't spent enough time with him, but Barry Vector, who went out to Colorado, is a man who operates in the apostolic, yeah. doesn't have the label apostle, but the way in which he is raising up and nurturing and pouring into other leaders, he is very much functioning as an apostle. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think that that's, that's part of my takeaway. Yeah. I've had interactions with some leaders who are, wow, you come away going, I feel empowered, like I can go out and change the world for the poor. Uh, for, for, the, for the sake of Christ and for the gospel, and that then again is is really that apostolic role yeah. that uh, can cast vision and inspire greatness in a multitude. Outstanding, that was very well very well put, Grant. Um, and while you were speaking and sharing, I did think of one resource that that articulates this idea as well uh, by J. D. Payne. There is a book called Apostolic Teams. And he's a Southern Baptist uh, brother who teaches at a Southern Baptist seminary, the Bible college, I think it is. And he has done a very careful, defining uh, reflection, not only on this idea of how is uh, the, the office of apostle is, is done, right? I mean, that, that was a certain people who authored scripture, and uh, we have those, those hallmarks. Uh, but he really fleshes out how that apostolic role was actually broader in the new, new covenant understanding and how apostolic teams and the calling of the apostolic model is still relevant to the church today as we seek to send teams to make disciples of countries. So, and then he expresses that in a team context. It's really, really helpful. So, anyway, thank you, Grant, and hopefully that's helpful as well. Yeah. And I will say, if you do get to a place... Uh, you know, where you're comfortable wanting to utilize these tools, uh, 5Q Central is a place where you can send a team to, to do an assessment that can just be helpful in that area. And then uh, there's another great resource called Working Genius. Again, this is more of a secular resource. But this assessment is unlike any other one in that it assesses leaders according to their role in a team. So when you bring up, say, a project all the way from wonder to innovation, oh boy, I can't remember, I'll probably, Marcus, you can maybe help, I don't know if you remember all of them, but to innovation to uh, galvanizing, uh, and then it ends with uh, enablement and tenacity, and there's one I'm missing in there. But anyway, uh, it, what it's doing is it's saying specific people are uniquely gifted to help move progress through, through your church or organization as it works through. And so anyway, it's just helpful in that, that regard. Yep. What gifts? Oh, great. Pulse of Christ by Brewer. Okay. Thank you. And we, we, we trust you, Marcus, in that reference. That's good, I'm sure. Thank you. Please follow me. Brewer? Just like the Brewers? Brewers. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Other questions? Yeah. Well, I took the working genius assessment. It's very helpful. I can okay. that. Okay. That. okay. Um, you said team of teams. I remember years ago talking to a friend who was looking at, you know, churches of family of families. And I think coming from a small church context, you can talk about teams. Awesome. But sometimes I feel it can be a thing in there that resists because we have the family model. Of course, you know, family can be the 
dysfunctional, so why do I go deep? So how would you kind of answer that, that, you know, when a church has that strong family feel, they also want to apply teams within that? Is there a competition there, or do they work really well together? Wow, that's a great question. Uh, I have, you know, I'll, I'll have to think about that a little bit. I, I'm not sure if I have a clear answer to that. Um, Are we talking yeah. about two different things? Well, that's a, could, could you adopt a family of families model? It almost sounds like maybe a little shoehorning needs to happen in terms of, well, and I think in general, again, I won't get in the soapbox, but like the way we view nuclear family, like the focus on the family concept is, is a little bit unhealthy for the church because we know the family is actually... The brother, you know, our eternal family is the brothers and sisters in Christ, even more than our biological nuclear, right? So probably a little shoehorning that might need to happen to re redefine how does we relate to one another. But is anybody that's in a, in a, like a little more of a rural context where that's any feedback that you might have related to shifting just from a family model to teams? Anybody have experience with that? Yeah. We're just right in the middle of rural. Okay. I just was preaching your church, Mike, but like, uh, when's the last time you've done a values experience? With that? Been, a while. Been a while. They say every uh, every five to seven years, a church should probably go through a re-looking re at values and really re maybe do some recreation. One one experience that might be interesting is, is in the vision dream process, you actually not only answer, you not only develop values around your assets or those things that are strengths, you also develop them around liabilities, things that need to be strengthened in the church. And so what might be interesting is to take your team of leaders through a process where you're developing a value statement. What you might find is that that community keeps changing. So, you know, it's something to think about. And I will, by the way, I'll share a resource, uh, a free, very free uh, opportunity by which we can help you go through that process. So. I'll don't let me forget. You're talking about the picture frame? Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. yeah. Hey, Brian. Scott. So, um, years ago, there's a book, Simple Church. Yes. Right? That's like, that's a factory model. In some ways. Yeah. It's like, that's a good point. These are three or four things. Yeah. You know them perfectly well. You should be. Yeah. I remember we went through that years ago and said, we're not a simple church. You know, so we're closer to a garden model. But yeah. gardens produce weeds. Yeah. They produce things that you didn't plan on producing. They produce a lot of things at the same time. Use a shadow side to the garden model if you have so much reason that someone wants to flourish and do something, but it doesn't necessarily fit yes. the overall vision. Like yes. I look at the district chart, yes, 45 ministries on there, yeah. isn't the risk that you're not going to do all of those very well? Yeah. So you know, there's I think there's a balance there too. Yeah. Let Let me. Uh, that's a wonderful observation. So I. The one, art, the one uh, time I lost my cool in a staff meeting uh, as an associate pastor was when we tried to read Simple Church together. Because <laughs> uh, there was so much strong pushback on it. I was like, I love this book. Uh, it just calls us to simplicity in our processes. And I, I want to I share it because I 100% agree with you, Brian. It, I think, this is my nuance on the garden culture concept, it does not mean that there is freedom to invent whatever ministries on your heart inside of the church construct. Um, I think that's dangerous, it's messy, and it pushes against the beauty and simplicity even of what we see in the early church. So my, uh, let me give you one model. There's a church called Greenhouse Church in Gainesville, Florida. This was in my microchurch study that I was doing. It's a large church. Uh, worship would be like what we had today, maybe they're a little more charismatic, but 
uh, in a very well-aligned, simple church, efficient in its systems. Uh, but they, they also recognized, here's a problem we have. In Gainesville, probably 60% of our community will never cross the doors into this building. Not in a long shot. And, and that number of people who wouldn't do that is growing. So where they applied this idea of, of empowering teams to do mission is through launching uh, almost like many apostolic teams, microchurches that went out, were well-equipped and empowered uh, in their gifts, as well as a sense of calling to a specific area of need in the community. And then they were free to go and launch these microchurch expressions of disciple-making within the church. But they were still part of the large church. They, would, they were still invited, when you're ready, come and worship with us and take part in the benefits of the broader community. But that was a way to do it without bringing the complexities of, you know, I've had those meetings where it's like, hey, we want to start a dance ministry or a quilting ministry or whatever. And you're just like, no, we have to say no to some of these good things. But guess what? Go start a quilting ministry to the quilting group in the community and share Jesus with her, right? I mean, you've been there, right, too, Brian. But like, so I, I think there's an outward momentum that can actually maintain internal simplicity if we're thinking about it correctly. So anyway, I hope that nuanced it in a healthy way. Thanks for bringing it up, Brian. Yep. So the question about the order chart that you showed, sometimes it's a question of do you build that around ministries and tasks or around people and their, their skill sets and their gifts? I know that wasn't the point of what you were saying, but it kind of looks like some of that chart was listing all the ministries, but some of it was based on what people's strengths were kind of within that. So how yeah, do you certainly. kind of put that together? Yeah, well, I think um, uh, that's a great, a great point. I'm, it almost like, like step one was identifying unique gifts. What I love about, and there's all sorts of different philosophies about this, but like trusting the Lord, we do hire, uh, and I am pardon the fact that this won't relate to everyone. I know in smaller church contexts, you don't think this way. But for this context, you bring someone in according to a specific gift mix. But then you trust the Spirit of God to reveal. And I, I'm not sure I've ever seen it where somebody who came into a group or a team ended up staying and contributing the way we thought. That's why these assessments are so helpful. But you begin to shift those folks into areas that match their giftedness. And then you begin to surround and form them into teams, right? And so I think it's a both and, you kind of have to start there. But then there are essential structures where you're just trusting the Holy Spirit to help marry the gifts and those who are here with, with those who are, uh, with those needs that we have that are practical. So I just think it's a both and. You have the org chart, you have the individual gifts and callings, but then you, you have the necessity as well. And just trusting the Lord to continue to refine. And if there's a better answer, like feel free to type it up here. So, uh, okay, any other questions before I share this final little tool? Okay. All right, let me, let me just kind of share this with you. Um, I think it was back here. Yeah, okay. So uh, we have something called the Multiply Cohorts that we've been doing for years with our church planters. And it's a fantastic training that, that in essence, you know, take someone from, you know, all the way from the importance of kingdom character all the way through developing a missional strategy and, you know, uh, leading a church that will live pa well past you, you know, so sustainability and things of that nature. And we have adopted now three sessions of this cohort, uh, and then we're, we're rewriting it for churches with the idea that you will come through this, ex this three-month experience with the leadership team, you'll come through establishing a missional strategy where you look at uh, the local predicament, what are the challenges in your community, the apostolic esprit, which is a, a silly word for the team dynamic, what are your, what's your main like, leadership team, and then the final one is your collective potential as a broader congregation. You, you look for that middle of, that, of those three circles, and that defines a kingdom concept. That defines how it is God's uniquely called us to reach this context with the gospel. And then, uh, you, you, then the next section, you're developing this vision frame concept for your church. And then the final is by, by establishing the, the four to six qualities 
of a mature disciple in light of our vision frame, how is it that we take someone from unbeliever all the way to that picture of a mature disciple in our context? And so that's what we call our disciple-making pathway. And so, you know, we're, we're going to pilot this hopefully within the, within the year, and, and we want to make this available for any churches that want to go through that every five to seven year re-envisioning process and, and applying it in this way, they can do that. Um, so that, that QR code is, a, is an interest form. You just want to get your name in there and just say, hey, contact us when you're ready to launch the first uh, Cultivate cohort, and we'd love to love to jump in okay so well very good well hey we're we're, uh, we're done right on time so let's uh, let me just go ahead and pray and, and wrap us up as, as you seek to apply this and I'm up here too if you want to talk a little more um, father we just thank you for this group of people and for the insights and experiences that are represented here in this place and father there's always more that can be said but I think the real work of your spirit and of just the, the minds and hearts you've given us is that we can now take and hopefully apply this to strengthen the various team cultures uh, within our community and to avoid the pitfalls like what Brian shared as well of, of just inviting, you know, complexity in, into something that should be aligned. And so I just pray that you would just work through um, all of these nuances to just help us to be just a little more faithful in, uh, in, you know, uh, in, in progressing towards the great commission calling that you have for each of us as well as our churches. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Forest Lakes District EFCA podcast. Before you go, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast. By doing so, you're helping others to find and benefit from these resources. To hear more great content like this, please click subscribe. Finally, you can learn more about the FLD and the resources we have available for flourishing churches at our website, forestlakes-efca.org.